Hello, this is episode 299 and it's part two of my conversation with Brian Guinan from iSmart Building Group. Now, if you haven't tuned in for part one yet, make sure you head back to episode 298 first. You'll hear the first part of my conversation with Brian there. You can access that at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 298 and there's a transcript there as well. In part two of my conversation in this episode, Brian shares some really great detail about how he streamlined the delivery of his passive house and high performance homes, especially in the challenging and predominantly volume built construction industry in Western Australia. And he also shares his view on the National Construction Code 2022 changes and his suggestions for how homeowners can navigate this as well. Now, if you'd like to grab a transcript of this episode and also the links to the resources that we discussed, you can find all of that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 299. That's the numbers 299. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. Now, before I jump into my conversation with Brian, let me remind you about him. Brian Guinan is the director of iSmart Building Group, a company delivering high-performance custom residential homes with a heavy focus on passive house. And he has over 30 years experience in the industry in Europe, the US, and now here in Australia. Brian is a qualified carpenter, a registered building practitioner, certified passive house tradesperson, certified passive house consultant, accredited ATTMA air tightness tester, directors of uh, Builders Declare, which is now Sustainable Builders Alliance, and the host of the podcast Sustainable Builders Yak. Isn't that extraordinary? Just so many amazing skills and abilities. And more importantly, Brian is a husband to a beautiful wife and father to four incredible children. 
Now, Brian has been driven to insight change in the industry for many years now and has been the pioneer for Passive House in Western Australia, building over 50 homes to Passive House standards and completing four of the only six certified Passive Homes in Western Australia to date. I've got loads of links for you in the resources. Make sure you check that out and let's jump into my conversation with Brian now. It's very clear that you've got a systems brain in terms of how you kind of break this down. Like you're thinking, how do I scale? How do I, you know, speed things up? So you, when you look at footage of you building your sites, you're bringing these, these wall panels in, in all of the layers, except obviously the gyprock's not on yet, is it? It's the gyprock goes on in situ. No. Or claddings. Yep. Okay. And so how, how then are you making those connections between roof and walls and slabs and walls and things like that airtight as you kind of bring these things into place? Think Proclima. Proclima has a solution for everything. And I don't, <laughs> I'm not just saying that because I'm a distributor. I've been to every, every possible scenario. I've had it. And I've, had, I've done a house down, it's about an hour south of here, and it, it just had every problem you could have with a certified passive house an undercroft garage at a three-stop lift which is inside and outside the thermal envelope inside outside the airtight envelope it had a balcony it had a three-stage three different elevations in the house it had everything when we talk about a cacophony of problems it had them um but there was a solution for every single problem that we came up with there was a solution Th those details are details that you work through like i can't go into every single detail but we have three A3 sheets that we've generated over the past few years. Those A3 sheets are standard details. So an architect comes to us with a design. We say, right, import this into your drawing set. These are the standard details. So that's floor to wall connection, wall to floor on upper floor connections, roof to wall, raking ceilings, flat ceilings, junction detailing, internal wall, external walls, air tightness detail junctions. They're all worked out and they're all standard details at this point for us. That's fantastic. That must give the architect a really good head start in terms of understanding how to design correctly for those areas. So yeah, that's brilliant. Awesome. So, all right. And so I can see obviously with all of those wraps, that's going to deal with your condensation management and all of those kind of things. How do you deal with any thermal bridging or anything like that? So you engineer it out if you can at all. If at all possible, you will always engineer to timber frame if you can. And then if you get bulk framing, you always pull it to the internal so that you get insulation external of it. So it becomes part of the internal structure and therefore it's at ambient temperature as is the structure, if you know what I mean. So you don't want it external. So if there's any steel, we will pull that into the structure and we'll insulate outside it. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so then that, it's not changing the in temperature um, to them. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it never actually gets that energy to transfer into, into the building. That That's the ideal scenario. As we all know, it's it's not that easy. We've just finished a, a house in Chewart Hill and it's got, yeah, like cantilevers that are 1.5 meters, like straight up and across, like barn style, 1.5 meters out. And they're only 140 mil in depth. Like that in, its, that in itself is a challenge. It looks a million bucks, and it, it <laughs> did. It did take a couple of meetings with like Fitch beams and stuff like that with the architect and the end, the engineers. We got there in the end, and yeah, that will be, I would say, probably six months off from being a certified low energy building. It won't be a passive house, but it'll be a low energy building. Fantastic. And so, do you do you have do you do exactly the same approach whether the house is being certified passive or not? Like in terms of your choices that you make as you're building based on what the clients ask for. Uh, yes and no. The ideal scenario is yes, but it's never the ideal scenario. It's all, it all comes down to budget for the client. What can the client afford and what's the maximum benefits we can get that client to give them a healthy living environment? So 
we'll mix and match and we'll we'll use our experience to get the best possible outcome for the client. That's not always a certified passive house. We've built 55 odd homes and only four of them are certified. So okay. that, that tells you that it's not possible. Where we can, we will. And where the client has the money to do it, we will. But the approach, if it's, if it's passive principles, the approach is exactly the same. You will get the same details. You will get the same airtightness testing. You will get the same attention to detail and structure. It won't be any different. Like, I, I don't know when's the last time we were above two in an airtightness test. I think we had 1.4 or something last year sometime. But, yeah, we're generally under one. And that's not, yeah, it's it's not something to brag about. It's just something that's a natural occurrence. It is something to brag about, <laughs> given nah, that most, like most, most homes are between like 15 and 39. So, most passive yeah. house guys, though, that's where they're at. Once you work out your systems and your processes and you've got the right trades and everything, it's, you know, it's it's just a default of, of good planning. Yeah. I think that's the thing, though, isn't it, is that everybody needs to be on board with the fact because what often happens in traditional builds is that you've got, you know, the electrician will get up there and will move some insulation out of place and put the light fittings in and not not put things back together and you'll have people punching holes in the, the wrap and you'll have all yeah. sorts of things happening. So it is it, it requires that education of the team and the management of the team mm. and those systems and processes to ensure that it's executed properly on site. Yeah, I, I've... I've yet to meet a, a trade that hasn't bought in though. As soon as it's explained and they understand what it's about, they're very excited about it. And it is, we all term the phrase rabbit hole. It is a rabbit hole, but it's mm -hmm. a rabbit hole of, you know, progressive succession. Everybody wants to do better. Naturally, everybody wants to do better. And if they can be involved in something that's better, then they're all for it. And they will make that little bit of an effort. And I found that in all trades that we've had, like we've yet to have a trade who just doesn't care. You know what I mean? If we explain it properly, and that's why I do those open houses. I do uh, Friday night sundowner events, do full presentation on Passive House, explain everything, and I invite all my trades, my suppliers, everyone comes, and they just get it. You know, knowledge is everything. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's absolutely Brian. everything. <laughs> now, in terms of the timber frame versus the con conventional building materials in Western Australia, I just wanted to talk through because my experience was when I started working with West Australian clients was that they were building with uh, double brick. Dimension heights were measured in courses, not necessarily in dimensions. Uh, they were doing suspended slabs for their upper floor, which is really only reserved for commercial or high-end architectural construction, I find, in the eastern states to do um, suspended concrete slabs uh, like that. Uh, and and they just had uh, – they were often not even lining the internal brickwork. It was just being um, uh, rendered. Bagged, yeah, rendered. Um, how have you gone about then building timber frame homes in that environment in terms of how homeowners have taken on board that as a as an alternative construction methodology to what they've seen elsewhere in western australia uh look it's a really it's been a very difficult process it has because you have to be competitive with what's already there um the industry itself if you look anywhere in the world you build with the with the commodities that you have available to you and brick there's there's quarries everywhere and basically wa is a sandpit so there's sand everywhere, there's clay everywhere. So that's the commodity that we have, and it's super, super cheap. And that's why we build with brick. It's the same as the reason the pyramids are built with rock, because there's plenty of it there. When you go to the southwest or the Great Southern in, in Western Australia, a lot of the homes down there, probably 90% of them are timber frame, because there's timber everywhere. So we build in with brick in Perth because we can, and because the majority of the, the building companies build with brick, because it's cheap commodity and it's readily available. So now that that's out of the way, how do we compete? Yeah, that's a very, very, very difficult thing. So we, as of today, we still don't make money building passive houses. 
we put them out there, we make a living, we don't make money. And that's because we have to be competitive with the industry. That's like, I was talking to you a little bit earlier about the podcast that I did, my personal one. This is kind of where I went down that rabbit hole in that podcast where I got <laughs> angry with myself. But it, it's been like six, seven odd years or even eight years of, of working in a business where we have to try and create an industry to work in it. Does that make sense? It does. It does very much so. Yep. Now, to create an industry of like, there's been houses built with timber frame before in, in WA, but to then try and build passive house, like which you're you're basically an alien in Western Australia to try and do something like this. There's a lot of compromises that have to be made. And a lot of those compromises just come back to money. So you can't make money as a business. You can make a living and you can survive. The whole process of me having, you know, the huge approach was like D-Day will come. The codes will change. And I know that everybody will want this process. So if I can make it as simple as possible, then someday I will make money. <laughs> <laughs> now that's starting to change. Now the organic progression has pushed us into the, you know, the elitist industry, which is fantastic. We're looking really fresh and good for, you know, the next however many years. It's fantastic to see that coming. Um, but it, it is a very difficult market to work in. Now, right now, as we look at it, we see a lot, the majority of the project builders have switched their two-story model to lower floor brick, concrete subs, um, concrete upper floor, and timber frame upstairs because of the new construction codes and how they're going to change. If they're going to hit that seven star, they're already modeling houses and building houses with that. So okay. we can see the change coming. It's only a matter of time. So one of two things can happen. The performance of brick can be upgraded. If we look at Europe, a lot of Europe is built with brick and block, and it's still high performance. What the issue with WA is, is that it's not financially viable. If you were to build the same high performance home as we do, you would be more expensive than us. And we've done the research. The product is not here. It's not available. And then the next issue is, can you do it sustainably? So if we ignore the carbon footprint of brick for a minute, how are you going to insulate it? Well, the products available are, let's forget EX. XPS and EPS because we don't want that in the industry. Let's go PIR. So if we put a PIR insulation into a brick cavity wall, we're going to get very expensive. And then if we have to look at thermal bridging through the lintels of windows, then we look at catnic lintels, which are across Europe, which is a, a, a bent lintel with PIR insulation in the middle for thermal bridging. Now we're getting really expensive. So I think there just needs to be solutions for the brick industry and the brick industry will come along. Soon as somebody gets that solution and they, you know, make it kind of, I don't think it can be financially viable. The, the industry will have to come a little bit more, but if they can make it anyway financially viable, they'll, they'll adopt it. Absolutely. They will. But at the moment, easiest process is double brick downstairs and timber frame upstairs. And that's ticking the boxes in the Nathars um, software. I think it's it's always tricky, isn't it? Because I think when people are thinking about building or renovating, they find it at face value, it's very difficult to compare apples with apples because you'll just look at one product versus another and that one looks dramatically cheaper. But what you're not understanding is what is required to bring that up to the standard that this product is at. And nobody's really talking about that. And you talk to the people that build that product and they're so committed to building that product that they're not going to share anything about what might be 
you know, it might be lacking in. And so it, it does, I think as a homeowner, you have to learn so much in order to then be able to assess those with any kind of equity um, to make the best choice for yourself. So it's, it's really interesting because I, you know, and, and it is that thing of, oh, we've all, we've always built, I mean, in, in Eastern States, we're building in brick veneer and we've built in brick veneer for donkeys. And, you know, I worked for Mervac for a long time. A lot of our homes were brick veneer on the lower floor and then lightweight on the upper floor. And, and the, there was always a decision made that you didn't want lightweight where you could touch it because particularly you didn't want rendered lightweight where you could touch it because it looks heavier than it sounds. And so you don't want somebody thinking that they've got a heavy house that then they knock on the wall of and it, it sounds flimsy. So if we were ever to use lightweight, it had to look like a lightweight house. In Queensland, you can get away with that because that's a weatherboard house. But in Sydney and in Melbourne, that's not, you know, like weatherboard houses don't proliferate in the same way. So it's this that's really- That's a marketing thing though. Yeah, that's like there's a monopoly on marketing with the brick industry, and they they market that it's not a good house if it, if you knock on the wall and it sounds hollow. Like yeah. seriously, yeah, that, that for me and yeah. Anyway, let's not go yeah. down that rabbit hole. No, it's not going to so many. Yeah, and yeah. It's like I've said lots of times um, that the laminate and vinyl flooring industry, for some reason, has managed to convince homeowners that their floors in their homes need to be waterproof, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And has managed to marketing's a, a wonderful thing. Flooring on the basis of this. So, all right. Now, National Construction Code. It is a bit of a black box, and that's for I think for industry. Like one of the big things that I th- I've seen people struggling with is even the fact that it's structured very differently to what it mm. has been in the past. You know, they've yeah. restructured it so that it's easier to kind of uh, have it online and all of those kinds of things, and bring it up to speed with you know more contemporary publishing methods. But just when you've been doing this for a while to get your brain geared to that is challenging. And so then for a homeowner to, to kind of navigate it, what do you think that homeowners need to be aware of so that they're sure that their builder is A, up to speed, B, isn't talking um, porkies and, you know, that they don't have to feel like they have to become experts in it. Because what I keep saying to homeowners is at the end of the day, it is not your job to know absolutely everything because you don't want to take on the risk that it actually belongs in the sphere of your professionals to own and be responsible for. So, how do you suggest that homeowners kind of navigate this with the people that they're working with? Very, very simple. This is really simple. If you go to HIA or Master Builders or any of those government bodies, or like they all do presentations on the NCC changes and they itemize exactly what the changes are and they tell you what is and isn't important. And not only that, they'll then tell you what the risks are. If you're a homeowner and you're building and you want to know, just go to one of those courses. That for me is the answer. They've done the heavy lifting for you. You don't have to read all five books. Just go there. These guys will tell you what the differences are and what you need to be aware of. That's my piece of advice. Like, if you're a homeowner, you don't need to know the code inside out. You really don't. You need to know what the changes are, and it's not business as usual. So if it's not business as usual, what are the changes? Well, the changes are identified by master builders, by HIA, by even the ABCB. There's plenty of courses out there. Plenty. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's it's it is fantastic how equitable the access is to this information now. And like you say, you go particularly on the ABCB's website, they have a bunch of presentations on each of the different areas. And you just need to remember that class one, if you're doing an individual home, that's the one that you need to worry about. And so looking at those individual presentations on what the specific changes are. And then I think it's do you find that you have homeowners asking you questions like this about, you know, are you up to speed or is it just because you feel like your education's out there and you're so far ahead of the game anyway that you know that the clients come to you knowing that you've got this already in hand? 
Um, look, if I'm honest, most of the clients come to us because we are. Like, they know we're already ahead of it. We've had one client in the past who uh, requested if they could have independent inspections. No drama. We wrote it into the contract. If you're a, a homeowner that you're going to build and you are worried, write it into the contract. Get a, an independent inspector, but don't just go get Joe Blow. Like this, get somebody that knows, get somebody that's educated, and get them to do inspections. So you, you can have five to six hold points along the project that are you know critical to the success or critical to to the code alignment. Just build those into the contract. Essentially, it's just a guy visiting the site. A builder knows that that inspector has got no impact on them whatsoever because they don't have a contract with them. You've pointed this out in your podcast previously, Amelia, but it does give the client either peace of mind or awareness that something's wrong, and then they can act on that. So as a builder, I've never said to anybody, no, you can't have anyone on site. I have biweekly meetings with every single client that I build for. They, they should be on site. They should know what's going on. It's as simple as that. And if the if the builders want to keep you at arm's length, then, well, then build into the contract that you can have independent inspections, five hold points at you know critical points in the project, and that should solve the problem. I was really shocked when, because uh, when you were on the Sustainable Builders Act talking with the other founding members, and you mentioned that Western Australia, you don't have to have an engineer come and inspect the footings, and you don't have somebody inspect the like you don't in in that you have those inspection points in the eastern states. So in Western Australia, when you build a house, does is it all just on the builder to certify that those things have been done correctly? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Gunslingers. Well, <laughs> I mean, in the eastern states, I think when you have a lot of volume builders, the structural engineer potentially doesn't even get out of the car. But it's <laughs> look, there is but, there but is the, um, the fact that there's actually still those requirements. You know, it gives the homeowner at least some earmarks to know, okay, this is where I can inject somebody if I need to. But look, they don't have inspections during the build process. But if that person sells the house at any point, there's an independent building inspection prior to sale. And if there's any issues at that point, they'll be identified and that builder will be called to come back and do it. So most of the builders, like I, there's very few builders that don't do what they're supposed to do structurally. I will say that because I've been called out to several. I was an independent inspector for several projects. And um, there's probably one or two builders who are. Oh, I don't want to get in that now, but <laughs> look, they're just in it for the money and they're they're from over east. They've got, a, a you know, an office here in Perth. And they just don't care. They just build whatever. And it's a shelf company and they'll work for two or three years. Then they'll get rid of the company and they'll move on. And those guys you have to be careful of. Um, but for the most part, the, like the seasoned guys that's been around for years here, they do the right thing. They really do. Like when it comes to structure, they do. They can't afford it. It's their license on the line. They can't get bad publicity. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, I just was, yeah, I wasn't aware that that's how it was run in Western Australia. So it was really interesting to hear. So was that not ditched in, in, was it New South Wales? I thought that inspection thing was ditched not so long ago. I don't believe so. I think it's still required. I know that all, okay. all the projects I've worked on, it's it's been necessary. So I it's thought not one necessarily... state ditched it um, through COVID or after COVID, I thought. Right. One, yeah. I could yeah. be wrong. Yeah. So I know that in some locations, that, like the engineer, for example, doesn't necessarily need to be the one that does the footings. The building certifier can, and they come out and they just check that it's as per the structural engineering drawings. But yeah. my recommendations to I know when I was working with clients and and obviously through undercover architect community has always been you know get the engineer to look at it so um and I think too it's also that thing of understanding that you know as we've said time and time again 
the inspector, like you said, you know, it's a really great piece of advice. Make sure you don't get Joe Blow as the inspector because a lot of inspection companies that I see out there selling their inspection services, they're just inspecting um, based on meeting code. And I think homeowners aren't aware of how bare minimum code is until they're faced with looking at their house, not being happy with the result, but then being told, well, it's been built to code. So, mm. you know, it's that thing of uh, understanding what the value systems and the goals of your inspector are. And then also, as you said, you know, um, understanding that the contract between is not between the inspector and the builder, but between you and the, ins- and the builder. So how are you going to use that information? So yeah. Yeah. there is, um, there are inspections in, in Western Australia for anything that's like a uh, reactive soils. Mm-hmm. So any engineer that you have get a quotation from will, will insist on an inspection prior to pour. So if you're in reactive soil of any kind, you will have an inspection by the engineer. And if you don't, that, that's kind of on you. But there is a whole point, and it's in it's in any quotation that I've seen from a structural engineer. But given that the majority of the, the houses in Perth are on Class S, you know, they're sand sites. So we just have soak wells and concrete on sand. It's, you know, it's pretty, the risk is pretty minimal unless you're on fill, you know? Gotcha. All right. Um, now, can you, we talked a little bit about Sustainable Builders, yeah, and uh, sorry, Sustainable Builders Alliance and the timing of um, the website and things like that. What is the goals? Like, why have you guys, because um, I think anybody from the outside will go, well, why aren't you still being builders declare? Like, what is, what, what, what's the difference? And why have you guys decided to set this up as its own sort of entity uh, with its own website and all of those types of things? Uh, it, kind of a difficult question. This went back to way back when, and we've gone through this in our own podcast. Um, at the very start, we were, you know, we we're doing a couple of bits and pieces and, and then we decided you know, what are we doing? We kept asking the question, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And we kept going around in circles. Well, we want to get information out there. And we want to get information out there. And we want to get information out there. And uh, eventually we came to the realization that if we're going to change the industry, we're going to do it right. And the only way to do it right was to have a separate entity. We can't be builders declare that's tied to all the declare movements that's out there. Because if we want to push this thing properly and we want to give, you know, education and eventually like you know, we should be able to offer courses. And there's a whole conversation going on at the moment with how much we can actually do with this business. And it had to be a separate entity. And that was, you know, there's, a, there's several people that advised us on that as well. The The name was like, we wanted to be aligned with sustainability. Sustainable Builders Alliance was a name that I think was, uh, might have been Michael Lim or Jeremy came up with that, I think. Um, but either way, it was, yeah, we just knew it had to be something different. Fantastic. And so it sounds like goals are to actually be sort of the education powerhouse for sustainable construction? Uh, if possible, it, it's it'll be an organic growth thing. It'll be, we'll keep pushing the information out there. And then if we're approached, we'll get involved and we'll assist. That's kind of our approach at the moment. But we're not going to go out and start talking to, you know, the education department and say, oh, look who we are. We can do this. <laughs> That's kind of not our approach. Our approach is put the information out there. And if organically it grows and organically people want to, get more information from us, then we'll entertain that. You know, like there's there's huge potential there for even consultation and everything. There's seven of us. You know, there's there's so much knowledge in that room. It's incredible. So it's just, yeah, I guess for us, it'll be, there'll be a point at some point, I reckon, where, you know, we'll be required to have more time and involvement in Sustainable Builders Alliance, and we may not be able to give it, you know, that's kind of where it's at at the moment, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> No, it's yeah. really exciting. I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys all create together. So 
Um, you've done such amazing work already, given that it's been done as a passion project around all of your own businesses and the fact that you don't necessarily, I know that the other guys are largely Victorian and you're the one on the West Coast. Um, so, yeah. Um, but yeah. Under talking. <laughs> managing it all remotely has been amazing. So Yeah, yeah. Um, now, before we wrap up, is there anything that you'd like to add or let the Undercover Architect community know about? Uh, no, just I'd like to commend you on what you do. It's absolutely incredible work that you do. Um, thank you for having us on and thank you for continuously pushing our information out there. You're constantly spruiking us and we really appreciate that. Being aligned with you is fantastic for us. Um, we call them guerrilla organizations, but they're not. Like People like you and us as a group, what we do, we really value it. And I think the proof is in the pudding. There's to have the growth that we've had and had the growth that you've had in such short periods of time and have that many people listening and, you know, commending you in what you do. It's, yeah, it's testament to, to the great work that you're doing and the information that you're putting out there. So congratulations. Oh, thank you, Brian. That's super kind and generous of you. I really appreciate it. I think that, you know, Undercover Arctic's always oper operated on a mantra of a rising tide floats all boats. And it's so at odds to the experience that I had entering the construction and architectural industry that what I love is that to see the change and how much things are shifting and how passionate people are really making a change to uh, the quality of homes that people get to build and um, and also the experience that they get to have whilst they build it. And I just, yeah, I I just love, like the undercover community is just the most incredible community and to be able to share sustainable yeah. builders yak and and builders declare and the knowledge that you guys share so actively um with them uh to ultimately help them you know not only create a better home but change the world one house at a time to yeah. me um i know i think we just have you know we underestimate the power that each of us have as individuals to really create change and i get so excited because what i see is that people are no longer waiting they're not waiting to be told that this is what they have to do they're they're actually starting to live in their values and think okay this is important to me and whilst it needs to be budget it needs to be balanced with budget and the competing demands that I have on my life I'm going to lean into what I know is important to me and this is what I'm going to make happen and so everybody's doing it in their own way which is so um, fantastic and it's I just love that there's room for people to express it in their own way and that we can all then come together and share that knowledge and information um, collaboratively so it's really awesome. So I really thank you for being here and sharing what you know about, you know, you've just, I, I know that I've only scratched the surface of the incredible wealth of knowledge that you have uh, and experience that you have. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, particularly when you're so close to going away as well. And, um, and I, yeah, so I, <laughs> no problem. I will put all the information in the resources. I really do encourage undercover architect community. I find that listening to the sustainable builders, yeah, I often wonder what it's like as a homeowner because I know as an architect, I feel like I'm sitting in on conversations that I've seen happen in construction circles. You know, I've had the benefit of working inside development companies and things like that, where as an architect, you are at the coalface of construction in a way that you're not when you're a consultant to that process. And so yeah. I love that homeowners yeah. get to hear that as well in that kind of environment that you get to hear because I think the conversations that industry have with homeowners is quite different to what happens within industry. And for homeowners to get an insight, right, not yeah. yeah, not only into what they need to know, but also what industry is navigating in the competing demands in the way that we work as an, an economy and as, as, as an industry just helps them know then uh, better information for their projects. So thank you so much for the work that you do and for the other founding members as well. I, it's just it's awesome. And it's been really great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. 
And that's it for part two and uh, the end of my conversation with Brian. Now, just to roll back, Brian's answer to my question about what homeowners should learn uh, would should do to learn more about the changes to the NCC 2022 and his recommendation to check out the training sessions that have been shared by our industry bodies like Master Builders Association and the Housing Industry Association. You can definitely find things on uh, the various websites uh, of those associations uh, and training sessions. Uh, remember also that you can check out my first two episodes for this NCC 2022 series. I actually take you through all of the specific changes that have happened in this update of the National Construction Code. And I've got links to the Australian Building Codes Board website that, that they have a bunch of training sessions that are super helpful as well. Um, so you can check all of that out at the beginning of this series. Now, my next episode is officially number 300. I can't believe it. You know, and whilst we do have more than 300 episodes on the podcast, at the moment due to some of the mini-sode series that I dropped here and there. I do want to mark the occasion of publishing the official episode 300 with a special update on Undercover Architect generally and other things that I've been really wanting to share with you here. So we're going to just take a little break from the NCC 2022 series whilst I do that with you. And then we'll be back with a few more episodes, uh, particularly about the accessibility updates that are included in the National Construction Code 2022. I'll be bringing those back after the uh, episode 300 with me. Now, a few reminders before I finish up. I, as always, there's a transcript of this episode. You can uh, get the free download and all of the resources by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 299. I've also got their links to the Sustainable Builders Alliance website, which is now live. It's an amazing resource for industry and homeowners alike. Of course, if you are a like-minded industry professional and you're listening to this and you're located anywhere in the world, please go and check out the UA Army and let me know more about you because I would love to put you in front of the Undercover Architect community. You can find out more information and let us know more about you by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army, A-R-M-Y. And if you're a homeowner and you're planning to build or renovate your home, perhaps you've already got started, you're in the design phase, wherever you're located, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget, I would love to be able to help you with more structured help and guidance and to feel, to enable you to feel more empowered and more confident, to help you save time, money and stress as you navigate the start to the finish of your project journey. And you really, uh, you know, work to create a fantastic outcome in this future home that you're working towards and that you're planning. Home Method is my flagship online program and it is definitely the place for you if you would like more support and guidance and to be able to make this project uh, a success and create a fantastic home. Now, Home Method is an online course. It's also a community and it's coaching from me on a regular basis with live Q&As where I answer your questions. Those Q&As go as recordings into the website and they're all searchable. So there's loads of help to really streamline your project experience and help you avoid mistakes and drama. So you can find out more about Home Method by heading to www.homemethod.com.au or just straight to the Undercover Architect website. There is a link there in the menu as well. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.
Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time.